You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Uh, we're excited to just ex- to rediscover the joy of what it means to be the church and recognize there's a lot of questions about that. What What is this? Is this a modern, like, business concept of getting people together? Why do we get up early on Sunday morning? Uh, what are the weird things that we do? Uh, so much to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to that. And um, so this is like a topical series. We, we really spend uh, just a few weeks throughout the year kind of going through uh, topics in the Bible. The rest of the year we spend going through books of the Bible. That's kind of what we prefer and like to do. But, but every once in a while it's nice to take a breather and to do something a little different. Uh, today we're going to be in, in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to go to God's Word this morning with you and read our passage for today and then get into it. Um, this is probably one of the probably one of the most beautiful 200 words in Scripture. And uh, we're reading today in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, really asking and answering the question, who is the church? And this tells us uh, who we are. Uh, Verse 3, let's follow along in God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose with which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. What an amazing passage. You know, the older I get, uh, the more I ask this one particular specific question. And it's this question. Now, why did I come in here again? (laughs) It seems to happen a little bit more these days. It's frustrating. It's frustrating feeling to to walk into a room and and kind of forget why you were in there, what purpose brought you in there what you were looking for, or what you aimed to do. And it's equally as rewarding and encouraging when, when you remember why you came in there and the purpose in there, or rediscover why you came in there. Now, if you forget your sunglasses, it's, it's just merely an inconvenience. But if you are a Christian and you forget the important realities of being the church, we lose the greatest shaping experience of our lives. Now, let me say that again. If you are a Christian and you forget the important realities 
of being the church, you lose the greatest shaping experience of your life. When it comes to the church, it is a tragedy to say, now why did I come in here again? Now what are we doing? Why do we do this? It feels like we're just going through the motions at times. If you've been a part of the church for, for decades, I don't mean Holy Cross, I mean just if you have been going to church for decades, it might feel like you're just going through the motions at times. This series is for you. If you've grown frustrated or maybe disenchanted with the church, questioning so much of like, why do we do what we do and why can't we do things differently and are ready to just throw in the towel, give it up, this series is for you. If, if no one's really explained to you what it means to, to be a Christian and to be a part of the church and a healthy participant in the church and are curious about God's heart for the church, then this series is, is really good for you. This series is for, for the burnt out, for the discouraged, for the confused, for the tired. It's the ones who have, have not given up but are wondering why we do what we do. This is for you. If you're curious about God's heart, for all that there is for his church, then this is for you. And we're going to answer some really critical questions about being the church. Because wrong assumptions about the church lead to wrong participation with the church. When we assume that the church is an event, then we, then we kind of relegate the church and activities to just like 90 minutes a week. When we assume the church is a club, then church becomes like this exchange of goods and services between those who lead and those who receive. When we assume the church is a show, then we gauge our participation with it or our enjoyment of it based on how good it was that day or that week. Much of the time, we shop for churches like we shop for jeans. A good fit, low cost. <laughs> I want to give a little, and I want it to be really comfortable. So our first and most basic question is what or who, who is the church? Someone saw the poster out front and or the bulletin artwork and said, are you going to tell us what that means? <laughs> and that's where we're going to start. Ekklesia. That word ekklesia is the Greek word for the church. And <clears throat> not ready for that one just yet. And... It's this New Testament word. It's the, it's, the, it's the New Testament Greek word for the church. And the more we understand this word and break it apart, the more beautiful this, this reality of the church really becomes. It's formed by two words, kaleo, which is the word for call or summon or name, and ek meaning out. It, these, the word the church is literally the called out ones. What a beautiful combination of words that we see this, this, the voice of God, the arm of God, the hand of God, the heart of God going out to a people and plucking them from a reality in which they are to himself, calling them out, calling them out of darkness, calling them out of isolation, calling them out of sin, calling them out of where they are to be where he is. To call them by name. We see this throughout the scriptures in so many places. The church then are the ones who have been called out. They have been summoned. They have been named to a distinct reality and a distinct experience. 
And, uh, and in our passage, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he cannot help but be so excited about this reality. How beautiful this is. In our passage today, we see that, that the, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church to remind them about who they are because they are, they're forgetting who they are. And he's reminding them who they are and the answer to who the church is, and now we're ready for that, is this. The church is the, the called out, the brought together, the indwelled people of God. The called out, the brought together, the indwelled people of God. Let's work through this, this beautiful definition of who we are. First, the church is the, the called out people of God. Right away, Paul proclaims in, in verse 3, Blessed be to God who has blessed us. Blessed here can mean to speak well of. And so what Paul is saying is he says, let's speak well of the God who is speaking well of us. That is what he is saying. Let's, let's call out to God in praise who has called out to us and brought us near. And the distinct feature of this blessing of calling out to us, blessing us, it's blessing us in every spiritual blessing. He is blessing us in every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places as he chose us before the foundation of the world in verse 4. Right away, Paul begins to correct the idea that the church is primarily people who do things for God. He is correcting this idea that the church are people who come together and then do things for God, for others, for one another. And to correct this, he says the church, the church are people who primarily have had something done to them, who've been called out, who have been chosen, who've been called out from an existence of darkness and sin and distance. Don't you see that? This proximity of, of people who are far off who have been brought near. And when did this happen? When the church got their act together, when they cleaned themselves up? No, he says, no, this happened before you were born. Let's even go back even further. Before the foundation of the world, before time even existed. Every benefit which has come to the Christian was the cause of a plan which originated in the mind of God before the beginning of time, when our God and Father planned to call a people to himself. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, they do not merely receive a, a spiritual care package from Jesus. Hey, life is hard, and now you're a Christian, and here's a spiritual care package that will help you on your journey, right? Forgiveness and mercy, pardon and future hope. We get all that. Of course we do, but we are called out, chosen from our residence of sin into a residence in Christ, where all spiritual blessings dwell. You know, the English word, the English phrases here, chosen and predestined us have caused a lot of debate over the centuries. And to be honest, they're not a great translation of the original Greek words here. It's more accurate to say, actually, never mind. These are perfect words to be used in the English translation. That he's chosen us. That he has 
selected us, that he's predestined us, that he has called us out, that our ears were deaf to his voice, that he opened up our heart. We were hardened to him and he moved towards us and brought us close. It's a perfect way to describe that what the, the people of God are recipients of. The Father deliberately calls. He deliberately blesses. He deliberately summons in the way that Lazarus was dead in his grave and Jesus called him by name to come out of death and into life. And he resurrected into life and came out and, and was with Jesus. He lovingly, deliberately, intentionally bestows, reveals, and lavishes his grace on a people. This is who the church is. The church are people on whom God's eternal favor rests. And all of this, coming to the church by the merits of Jesus, not by our merit. This is called grace. The, the people of God, the church, are primarily people who are recipients of God's lavish grace. And we may ask, why does God do it like this? Why did he call us? Why does he call out to us? And, and why did he call to me? Why does he call out me and, and not other people? Have you ever asked the question? I have. I, I've yelled it, in fact. <laughs> and I've never heard an answer from God other than this. Because I love you. And it's frustrating sometimes to get an answer like that. And you may ask then in, in, in return, well, then why do you love me? Why do you give this mercy? Why do you give this kind of grace? Because he does and it pleases him to bring glory to his name by doing so. Because he does, this idea of calling and, and election and predestination, these are biblical words that the Bible uses over and over again. It stirs up a lot of controversy, and I'll admit that the relationship between God's calling out and his election and his choosing of people to come into relationship with himself and the, relation, and the responsibility that we have to respond to him in faith. It's a complex relationship that we don't fully understand. And I admit that it's difficult to understand how the will of God can be behind all of this in pleasure and in joy and choosing a people for himself. And I want you to know this, that it is okay. It's okay when what we currently believe is confronted with what we see in God's word and then we change our mind. And that's a really simple sentence, but I know it's a really weird concept today. Did you know that you can actually have an opinion when you're younger and then grow and learn and then change your opinion? I don't know if you know that, but you can actually do that. Part of, of growing in faith is maintaining a commitment to having our beliefs and practices and values and desires and hopes and habits and dreams and aspirations an attitude shaped by God's word on a continual basis. We're always changing. We're always being reformed. We're always being corrected by God's word. 
And it takes so much humility to admit that we are allowing God to change our mind for how we understand the world, how we understand our hearts, how we understand God, how we understand his agency and work in the world. You know, if you're if one of those people who just cannot embrace the fact that, that God calls and chooses and elects and predestines people to an eternal destiny, here's my loving, tender, compassionate, pastoral word to you. You can change your mind about that. It's completely okay. And here's another good word. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to say, I don't get this. It's okay to grieve and to mourn those who have yet to have the, 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 the dramatic, gracious, merciful call from God to change their heart. It is okay to wrestle. It's very common to hold to one belief at one point in your life and to have it deeply changed over time. Where there's silence in our sin, when you, when you and I are without hope, God calls out to us. He brings us to himself. And he brings us into his blessing. And this is because of his mercy that is so extravagant, so beautiful. And the church are people who, are, who primarily have been recipients of something that has happened to them that was not their idea. In fact, we are told that our idea, our will, was to rebel against God, to go in the opposite direction, to reject him, to hate him. And it was his idea to bring us to himself. This is a blessing that we, that we should rejoice in, even in the midst as we wrestle with it. And, and, and what is this blessing more specifically? Because he says it's, it's the heavenly blessings and the spiritual realms and this, just this general, like, vast blessing. And then he breaks it down a little further. What is this blessing? It's, it is a kind of bringing together. And that, and that is another thing that we are. We are the called out and brought together people of God. That's the second part of the definition. We're the brought together people of God. Paul says that we've been chosen. We have been called out to be a few things here. Big words, big Bible words, redeemed, adopted, reconciled. All of these words have something in common. They have this feature of relationship, a feature of separation that is now together and brought together. To redeem is to buy back something that has been stolen from you or taken from you. To adopt is to take an orphan and give them a family. To reconcile is to restore enemies into friends. All of these words are, are, are talking about this distance and separation and brokenness and alienation and then a bringing together. God's plan was always to have a huge family of redeemed, adopted, and reconciled people. An isolated and disconnected Christian is a contradiction. A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. Pay attention to the pronouns in this passage. 
In this passage, Paul says in the very beginning and several times, he says, we this and we that and we, 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 we. And then he switches about halfway through and starts saying, and you this and you that and you, you, you. When he's talking about we and we, he's talking about the ethnic Jews, the family of Abraham. And then when he says switches to you and you, he's talking about all the, the non-Jews, the people who've been separated from this, this ethnic people. And he is saying now, he's saying this has been the plan of God all along, is to bring people from all over into one big family. He's highlighting this definitive feature of the church. Because salvation is by grace and not anything that we have done. Salvation is by grace and not our ethnicity or the family we grew up in. It is not only, it not only ends our alienation from God, it ends our alienation from one another. And so he's taking two people that have uh, many cultural reasons to be opposed to one another. He is saying, you have this and you don't have this and this is what the grace of God does. It brings you together. Salvation is by grace. He, it ends our alienation from others. It ends our alienation from God. You know, we are, we are people who have grown in the art of separation and alienation. We're just so good at it. We're so good at it, but God is in the work of redemption and adoption and reconciliation. He is he's in the work of bringing together what has been separate. The gospel of grace forbids us from disparaging anyone because of race or because they're young or old or because they're rich or poor or because they're male or female or able or not able. We find a, 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 a countless and endless reasons to divide, but if we are saved by grace, since we are saved by grace, we have no permission to feel morally superior to anyone based on their experience or anything else. If we are people who share in the privilege of the grace of God, then there's no room for racial pride or disdain or hatred or despairing thoughts of the poor. The gospel leads us to be humble, knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt and in need of grace and God takes what is broken and distant and disconnected and brings together in Christ. You ever been a, visit, a visitor of a church? Maybe some of you are visiting today. It's, it's hard to visit a church. Some years ago, Janae and I said, we don't ever want to visit another church again. Let's just start one. <laughs> and that's really all the thought that went into it. <laughs> Visiting is just so hard. It is so difficult to feel like you're on the outside. It is so difficult to feel like a stranger. You realize how strange and alienating an experience can be when, when you go into a new church. Sometimes just walking up to a, a new church takes all the courage in the world. And you have this pit in your stomach and you're wondering what will happen and between all the all the things that can be different and nuanced in a church between, you know, things in our culture that, that, we, that, we, that we disagree on, between racial tensions and COVID and, let's just stop there. I mean, and, and politics and 
culture wars and different church traditions. There's so much that can divide. Sometimes even the quality of coffee can divide a church. If the church is known more by what divides us than what unites us, we've lost our way. Three things I've heard over the years, in the last 12 years of Holy Cross, and, and I'll pick a recent one, a middle one, and kind of a, a, a distant one. I'll, I'll come back to church when you start serving better communion wine. I'll, I'll come back to church when you make everyone wear a mask or when you make no one wear a mask, both of those. I'll come back to church when you sing that hymn the way it was sung when I was a child. And all those are from my wife. It's just really weird. <laughs> no, it's, just kidding. You know, the, the, very, the very nature of the church is that we are people that are drawn into relationship with God. And by the merits of Christ's righteousness, we are drawn into relationship with one another against the most greatest dividing forces in the world and in our hearts. These are powerful forces. If you're looking for a reason to be divided, I promise you will find it. Every, even death itself cannot separate the people of God. This is how powerful the brought together purpose is of God for his people, that even death itself will not separate. What God brings together, let no one divide. And that's not said just at weddings. This is the truth of who God is and the people he brings together and the covenant that he brings together of people, that we are people that are drawn into relationship. Verse 9 and 10, remember this, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. At the very heart and plan of God from all eternity was to unite all things in Christ. What God has brought together, let no one separate. The church is the prized, listen, the, the crowned, prized recipient of the fullness of God's favor and grace and love, so much so that it requires the entire Trinity to get involved in this work. Look at this beautiful thing. The, the God the Father chooses and calls out and predestines a people God the Son redeems this people through his own blood, and then God the Holy Spirit indwells these people, empowering them to reach their destiny. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit come together in this beautiful picture of unity to accomplish in the church the fullness of God's heart, love, plan, and will for us. It's not a small thing. It is everything. The final part of that definition is that the church are the indwelled people of God. We see the Holy Spirit now accomplishing and working out the plan and the redemption 
that has been accomplished. In verse 13 to 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. There is this already not yet reality in the church, right? There's things that are already happened, right? We have already, we have been forgiven. We have been justified. This means that we've been pardoned of all of our sin and our wrongdoing because of the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us. It's been credited to us. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven, but we wait for this full inheritance. We wait for this full consummation of forever peace and eternal life that is yet to come. And until that time comes, God says he does not want to leave us hopeless. He does not want us to leave us to our own strength, but, uh, but he ministers to us through the Holy Spirit. He brings life to our dead hearts, he shows us his, the misery of our sin. He reveals to us the love of God. He reminds us and convinces us of the word of Christ and the promises of Christ. He leads us in salvation. He helps us grow, and, and, and that biblical word is, is sanctified. We become more and more uh, into the image of Jesus, being less like ourselves in, in our flesh and our sin and more like Jesus in our life. The Holy Spirit completes the work that God has begun. And he says, I promise this will happen. Teaches us, guides us, comforts us. And what is the evidence that this has happened? What is the evidence that we have been sealed with this guarantee, that we have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that we've been chosen by God, that we've been redeemed in Christ, that we belong to him, and one day he will come back and take us to be with himself? What is the evidence that we could be sure of that this has happened? How do we know that we are among those people? Well, the Bible actually gives an answer to that. Paul tells them, here's, here's how I know. In verse 13, you heard the word of truth of what Jesus said and what he did for you, and you believed in him. That is the evidence. It is not, well, I've had a really good streak going. And now if Jesus comes, now's the great time. I've been really good for this season in my life. If Jesus comes back right now, I'm really good. I've done more good than bad. I'm better than most. I was raised in the church. What is the evidence that we can be sure that we've been called out, redeemed, and indwelled? That we heard the word of truth that has come to us about what Jesus has done for us, and we believed in him. We transferred hope from our own self and our own work, and we transferred that hope and security to Christ who died for us. That is, what, that is what reminds us that God will complete what he has done. God's people have always struggled with this. They've always struggled with assurance. God's people have always struggled getting it into their minds that this is about what God has done for me and not what I do for him. They've always done it. Thousands of years ago, the 
people of God, the Old Testament people of God struggled with it all the time. And there's this gut-wrenching conversation that God has with, with the people of God, the Old Testament people of God, through the prophet Malachi. And God tells his people this. He tells them who they are. He says, I love you. You have been called. You have been rescued. You have been redeemed. I love you so much. I have loved you so much. I will love you forever. And you know what they say to him? They reply and say, how have you loved us? Wow. And God reminds them of, the, their, of his covenantal love. He reminds them of the, his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to gather people. He says, this was my plan all along, to gather people who were far off to myself so that I would have a people and these people would have a God and that they would be loved with an everlasting love, and that this love would never give up on them, even though that they are faithless. I will be faithful. I will love you at great cost to myself. And eventually, sending his son, his only son, to die on the cross, so that nothing would ever separate us from the love of God. In every instance, in every description, that this word ecclesia is used. The church are people to whom something beautiful and miraculous has happened. They are always people that are first and foremost recipients of a boundless love and faithfulness. And we have the audacity to say, how have you loved us? We take our eyes off of God. We take our eyes off of the love of God. Our identity as redeemed and called out, brought together and indwelled people. Whatever happens in your life, God is ever faithful to the work, to, to, to the work that he has begun. God is ever faithful to work through you and all that happens to accomplish his will to keep us in his love, to the praise of his glory, God will be praised. God will be glorified. And he has desired that this glory would come through completing the work that he began in you. To be, for you to be presented to him as pure and spotless. We do not transform our lives, church, first, and then enjoy the blessing of the gospel. We believe in the good news of Jesus giving himself in our place, and this overflows into a transformed life. You are not what you do, but what Jesus has done. You are not what has been done to you, but what Jesus has done for you. What you do does not determine who you are, but you who are in Christ determines what you do. Church, what has happened to you? And what has been guaranteed to happen to you in the future 
is what you've always dreamed of. It is what you've always wanted. Who you are and who God says that you are is what you and I have always wanted. We want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. We want to grow. We want to be thought well of. We want to succeed. We want to triumph. We want to have purpose and meaning. We want good things to happen. We want to know we're okay. We want to never be cut off. We want to fail and still be loved. Everything you've ever wanted is yours in Christ who gave himself for you. It is greater than you've ever imagined. It is better than you deserve. And it is as secure as God himself. That's who you are. Let's not forget it. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.